Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey y'all, happy new month! And of course we're excited because it's December, inching closer to Christmas for me. However, in Nairobi, yo, we are not having December weather. So it has been raining across the country for the last two weeks and i live near a hospital called aga khan hospital last night it rained so badly the hospital inside the hospital it was flooded so it's gotten past you know those casual remarks of this is not december weather to you waking up to check on your friends like are you guys okay you know after the crazy rains last night so it's been crazy as much as you're like oh i wish it was hot you're also like, well, thank God I'm safe because these rains are something else. As always happens when it rains, electricity goes. So I'm like recording this episode, just crossing my fingers because outside it looks like it's about to start raining and I'm just like, please, Kenya Power, please don't take away my electricity. <laughs> Anyway, um, so y'all know we are smack in the middle of the 16 days of activism. And for those of you who don't know, it is a global campaign against gender-based violence. So everybody around the world just spotlights different activities they're doing around fighting gender-based violence. Um, people will spark conversations on it. And so what I'm doing with my initiative, in case you missed this, is I'm actually fundraising for a project called Safe 247. So I want to take 30 survivors of rape through a 10-week free group therapy program run by skills professionals. On top of that, I want to set up and run a support group for an additional 50 survivors of rape. So because I do not have Beyonce budget, <laughs> I wish I did, um, I'm fundraising for it. So in the description of this episode, you'll find the link to the M Changa page. M Changa is basically like a GoFundMe page. And wherever you are in the world, you can donate towards making this project a reality. So if you are in Kenya, there's the M-Pesa option, there's um, T-Cash, Airtel Money, there's another one, Equitel. Um, and if you're outside the country, you can use the PayPal option or the visa options. Even if you can't donate, it's cool if you just share the message of what we are trying to do. Yeah, it would really go a long way and I'll appreciate that as well. So far, I should give you an update. I thought I had the page open. Give me a second. My internet is so slow. Okay, so we are at 23% of our goals. So we have raised 228,000 Kenya shillings, 717 shillings. This is as of Sunday morning when I'm recording this. <laughs> you might listen to this on Friday and the numbers would be different. And we've had 222 people donate so far. So my goal is to have 4,000 people donate 350 shillings each. Of course, some people are donating much more than 350 shillings. I am so thankful. But yeah, that's the overall number that we're working with. And this week, what we're going to be doing around Safe 247 is sparking conversations on women's safety. So make sure you follow my Instagram page, that's Adele Onyango, or my initiative's Instagram page, that's Adele Onyango Initiative. 
um, to join the conversations. It's been so scary running this campaign because obviously, you know, I have survived rape. So it's very triggering as much as it's something good and that will be impactful to be around this conversation every single day is not easy. I have turned down certain, uh, what are they called? Interviews. Because people want me to go on there, not only share about Safety for Seven, but also my story, which I've shared about in the past. And I'm just like, <sighs> part of me knows they mean well when they invite me to do such things. But also part of me doesn't want to be the token survivor because the data is there, the stories are there. Can we just focus on the solutions and how we're going to end rape culture, how we're going to support survivors and things like that. So, and, and even when I'm saying no, I'm like, oh crap, this is not right of me because, you know, I really want to push this project, have many people know about it because you never know who can come on board and help. But at the same time, I'm like, man... I do not want to be your token survivor. So yeah, I'm having that internal battle where I'm just like, oh, what should I do? But at the end of the day, even me ranting about that doesn't mean I'm going to give up on it. I'm going to see this project to fruition. We're going to keep fundraising until we can start even one group. Because when I say I want to take 30 survivors, that's three groups of 10, 10, 10. So wish me all the luck and keep sending those positive vibes i feel them i appreciate them and heck i need them <laughs> so still on the conversation on gender-based violence it's so sad that many of us can say that we grew up in homes where our dads were physically abusive to our moms i grew up in such a home but i do remember when i was in class five class six my mom left my dad and literally divorced him and served him papers cleared out the entire house that was when i knew that kumbe my mom had bought basically everything in that home <laughs> the way my dad used to floss <sighs> i think we only left him with the cooker which was like super old and i'm like you are beating this woman who has built this home as in and is ensuring this home runs ensuring that your kids are well fed in school etc etc anyways let me not rant and i remember even though i was like super young my mom telling us that she didn't want us around my dad's abusiveness because she didn't want us to think that that was what a normal relationship looked like at the time of course i was too young to really understand the gravity of what she was saying but in hindsight i'm like thank you mommy because she left at a point when she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer so she's going through treatment for that she was having issues or had just lost her job and she has these three girls her three kids that she needs to take through school so that was like a major major sacrifice she did yes for herself and her sanity and to make sure that she would be in a healthy environment, but also for us. So I'm just so thankful. And I'm glad that before she died, I was able to tell her, thank you for that. Because then I got to an age where I was like, wow, you actually did something so important for my sisters and I. So on 100 African Stories this week, I have Val, who is my best friend, and 
she's sharing a story of her experience growing up in a home where her dad was physically, emotionally, financially abusive towards her mom and how she then later on in campus, unfortunately, was in a relationship with a guy who ended up beating her. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. So my name is Valerie. And I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. Last week was International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. I feel as society, it's not something that we talk about easily, especially when the story is really close to home, or in my case, in my home, because I grew up in a very violent household. And it's not something... I know my story is not unique in the sense that I don't know if it's an African problem specifically, but I know we do have that problem where you'll find a lot of your contemporaries also grew up in homes where their fathers would beat their mothers. So my story is nothing new, but obviously that doesn't make it any easier as well. One of my very first memories of like the domestic violence that my mom went through is we used to stay in a house that had a servant's quarter. So every now and then, he'd be beating my mom up so badly that the house help would come and get us to go and sleep in the SQ because I don't know why. I don't know if it's who. I don't know if it was. I don't think my, I don't know if my mom would be thinking about us in that space like I need to get my children out of here or maybe the house help decided to intervene. I don't know. But I do remember a few times being taken out of the main house and having to go to the servant's quarter to, I think, get away from it. I don't know. I was that's something I was too young. I was too young to remember, but it I think I'd say easily it was the it happened more often than it didn't. Okay, cuz first of all he's an asshole. Like just just start there. He's just an asshole. And then he was also an alcoholic. So sometimes he'd come home in a mood and like really beat my mom or sometimes if he was drinking or whatever. So it was more often the norm like there were times when my mom he'd lock her out of the room so she'd have to sleep in my sister's bed because my sister and I shared a room so I had one bed she had the other bed so sometimes maybe she'd put us together then she takes one bed or she enters the bed with one of like either me or my sister or whatever or he'd now beat her and then lock her out of the house and then he'd come and tell us like go open for your stupid mother and things like that and then we had this stools the legs and the base was wooden but the top was glass and he used to throw them at her. So it reached a point we didn't even have any of those stools anymore as in once she had taken him, I think it was breakfast. And I don't know what the issue was that early in the morning. Cause he had this thing where he didn't like when the plate was too hot. So he had to be brought from two plates. And so he threw it at the wall, like he flung it at the wall and then she dodged. And then she just started screaming how, oh, what if he hit my eye, I could have been blind and so on and so forth. And then later, I don't know what made me do this, but later I went and I looked at the wall. And till now, and I'm very sure, because, okay, of course I don't live there anymore, but it had, like, cracks. Like, the, it hit the the wall till now. It chipped the paint. I don't know what it was, the paint or something chipped. So, and I never, I, I remember, it. of course it never registered consciously forever and ever, but sometimes I'd see it and I'd just be like, okay, mom, why did you, why did you stay? Why did you put yourself 
through this yeah and there's a time they'd had this huge fight then he left in the morning he took her keys her car keys and so we had to walk to a shopping mall because now they had these offices were at a shopping mall and my mom didn't i think i think he took her car keys and he locked the room and her handbag was in the room so she didn't have anything on her like absolutely anything so we had to walk to the cop. It's not so far, maybe around two kilometers. But when you're a child, it's dead far, as in it's really far. So it was me, my brother, and my sister. We went, and he just gave her, like, nothing happened. Then after that, I remember she took us to, there's a place we used to go swimming, Methodist. It's just so, whenever, now that I'm talking about it and I remember it, I'm like, it was just such a, such a trip. Or even like, for example, like I got found out much later, like even when she was pregnant, he'd still beat her. So there's one, she was pregnant like with my brother and he beat her so badly. She had to go to the hospital the next day to find out if my brother is still okay. I think I got to find out later from my therapist when I did um, my first round of, first real round of therapy in 2017, that he created an environment of fear. So we didn't really talk to each other in the house and we didn't, you know, open up about stuff. Nobody tried to intervene, for example, yeah. Because I remember I was talking to my therapist and I told her how I'm not as close with my siblings as some people are with their siblings. And she said that children from dysfunctional families are normally like that. Because, you see, if we were all so scared and all tiptoeing on eggshells, where, how are we forming a bond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no... We are just all trying to survive here. We are all just hoping today is not the day or whatever it is. When did it become better, so to speak? I think I think by the time I was upper primary to high school. I don't know why though. I don't know if he'd aged, he didn't have the I don't know. But they stopped now physically fighting. Yeah. It now just remains the whole emotional abuse and financial. Because my mom um did ha- she'd never worked. She didn't have a job. She didn't do well in school so she didn't go to uni. So she was completely dependent on him financially like she couldn't buy anything anything for herself practically i was told one of my aunties because we are talking with her some time back she was telling me how like because she used to help him manage one of his restaurants and there was a time he came in and so she's looking so bomb and he just started beating her in the middle of the restaurant asking her which man is this you're dressing up for it stopped it stopped of course but also i wasn't i went to boarding school in high school so i'm not very sure and I don't remember my holidays very well, actually. I don't, I don't remember my high school holiday breaks very well. I don't know if I remember my feelings. Of course, there's fear among them. You're very scared. I think I was also, as I got older, I was just like, but why are you enduring this? I'd always known it wasn't normal. Because I remember once we were playing with my siblings outside in the garden, and then they were fighting in the room. I'll never forget. And I told them, let's not go that side. There are riots. I think I'd seen riots on some TV show or something, and I felt so smart now that I've learned a new word. So I'm like, yeah, let's not go there, 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 riots. There's one thing I'll never forget. There was a night she was beaten up, and then she went to the garden and just started crying, like wailing, like from her soul, as in I still hear it every now and then. And I was even telling a friend of mine the other day, I wouldn't be surprised if, even on my deathbed, I still remember, as in, it was, she cried many times, many days, many weeks, over many years. But that one cry, I don't think I'll ever forget it. You know when you're learning, when you're learning stuff and you're told this and this and this and this, so you're being told time and time and time and time again, especially for us guys, our 
curriculum. We had CRE. What is it? Christian religious education? What is it? Anyway, so you're being told to honor your parents and to love your parents and all that. So of course you want to. But also there's really nobody you can tell about what's happening at home. Because I think you can't, you can't tell what you don't understand or don't even know that it's wrong. Mm. Because there was never a point in school where we are told this is how husbands and wives parents are supposed to there's not we just learn nuclear family and extended family as you they don't teach you those norms in school obviously so i just knew it wasn't it took me some time to realize that actually among my friends i'm one of the few whose dads beat up their mom every other night as in it, it took me a f- i must have been in a lower primary just going to upper primary when i realized uh uh-uh, this is not this ain't it. So I don't know how I felt about him when, as it was happening because I didn't know it wasn't supposed to happen. Do I remember once they wanted to get a, she, I think she wanted to get a divorce. Was it he wanted to divorce? I can't even remember. And then she told us and she was so worried, like what would happen to us and stuff. I remember I'm like, and I think it was me who asked him, like, so what will happen to us? And she's like, we'll just have to go live with my parents because now she wasn't able to take care of us obviously but it never happened i don't know why and you know she's not she's not around for me to ask her these things mm-hmm. anymore yeah like that time you wanted to get divorced what made you change your mind and and stuff like that but i know once i hit because how does my therapist put it moral development starts in adolescence and continues into adulthood so by the time i reached high school is when i was like oh shit this man's an asshole like mm-hmm. he's an absolutely terrible person i remember people with my dad this my dad that my dad this and i'm just like i remember first visiting day and my school i only got one a year (laughs) so my first visiting day my mom couldn't make it she was in shags so he came and i didn't even want to see him in the first place let me tell you after he left i just cried and then i had to lie to people my stomach was pain but i'm a shitty liar so nobody was buying they told me i'm crying because my mom didn't come and if there's one thing i have till now is dad envy whenever i listen or read stories of people who have good dads let me tell you i feel so jealous i'm like oh you guys don't know how blessed you are people are like i love my dad he's if i can get a man i'm like hey hey it must be nice <laughs> so us, on the other hand i'm like i i'm i don't want to marry anybody like my father but then it becomes tricky and this is why i love therapy and i think about therapy all the time you need to start learning things like is it your intuition guiding you or your trauma misleading you for example because you can have a nice man but everybody has off days so i know what i don't want but it then becomes tricky to to not let yeah i don't start constructing red flags that are not even there because i'm waiting to see something or like my therapist says, us guys who've gone through trauma, we go through life waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, I say this, and it's I know people are going to raise their eyebrows, but I we have absolutely no relationship whatsoever. I haven't spoken to him since my mom died, and it will be two years next month. I stopped doing Christmas because we'd always go every Christmas since 1989. We'd normally go to carnival for lunch. Then when it got older, it, now most of us are at drinking age. It then became dinner. And I must have stopped maybe 2010. I just stopped. I'm like, I, the thing about me, I don't know how to pretend. Neither do I want to know how. To, if I don't like you, I don't like you. And 
I hate having to pretend that I do. So I just got tired of going for this family Christmases and the man sitting at the head of the table just put my mom and continued to. Just because it wasn't physical doesn't mean other shit wasn't happening. She was just, she had a, she had a good life. I think she did. I know she wasn't always sad all the time. I know that. But there was once, I think I was in class four, we were in her room and I think he just left and because I'd gone to see her like the minute after he's finished beating her, if it was during the day and he leaves, I'd always go and check on her and she was just crying. I'll never forget it. She told me, don't get married. Like, it's not worth it. Don't ever get married. Though I did get to ask her about it later and she was like, ah, please, if you find a good man, marry him. I was like, yeah, but he put her through a lot. And so I just, I'm like, I can't fake anymore like i'm done so i've spent a few christmases either with myself if i had like a boyfriend at the time maybe we'd do something together i've spent some with my cousins La- honestly the last time we, t- we talked a bit was when my mom died but yeah we've not talked now going on he tried to call me the other day i just told him not the other day gosh it was january last year he didn't just leave me alone like we're done and this is something i know we're going to fight with my aunties i know because i already told one of them and she was like but i'm like when he dies, I'm not going for his funeral. This sounds so... I don't know if it's selfish or self-centered, whatever. But I told my mom when she was... As we had this conversation many times. And I kept telling her, I'm not going. And I'm not going. And I'm not going. And she she got it. And I know that's going to be a whole issue with the... Like, what do you mean you're not coming for the funeral? But imagine it's my life. Like, I'm 32 now. Like, honestly, it's... I just, as in, why pretend like I'm sad? Like... And I'm happy on, I'm like, yeah. But that's why I say it's like part of why I have issues with God. Because this man, this asshole is like mid seventies now, still alive. But my mom was a very good person, dies before 60 from a terminal illness that left her in so much, as in the pain, the pain, the pain, the pain. I remember she even had to take morphine sometimes as a Mm. painkiller because they used tablets, nothing would work. So I'm like... I don't understand why the good parent was one who suffered the last five years of her life. And the asshole parent is, okay, he's not kicking. He's not doing well. <laughs> but he's still alive. <laughs> he may not be ki- alive and kicking, but he's still alive. Yeah. As in, I just, I don't, I don't. And I hate it when I have these conversations with people and they're like, yeah, it's not a fallen, it's a fallen world. It's not a path. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't be content with that. Like, I keep saying God and I will have to have a conversion and he'll tell me why. And if, and they're like, you know, you might never get that. And I'm like, then it's fine. Like if mm-hmm. I don't need this God anyway, then as in, if he can't tell me why he allowed certain things to happen, yet he claims to love all his children. Equal, as in, I'm, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. My parents' relationship obviously affected me, but I didn't understand the layers of just how deep it went until I started therapy. This is, first of all, let me just start by saying this is very hard for me to talk about because I've never said this story out loud. Like, it's the first time that I'm really saying this story out loud. So, as in, let me just start by saying it's very hard for me to talk about this. But when I was in campus, I had a boyfriend who beat me up as well. And I still remember it. It was in 2011. And... I'd gone out with friends. Uh, it was a Wednesday, February 9th. I still don't, I don't think I'll ever forget. February 9th. So I went out with friends um, to somewhere in Westlands. I can't remember where. And then I went back to his place. 
So it must have been around two that I met him. Otherwise, nothing good happens after two a.m. Anyway, um, so I got his place around two, and now me, I'm high. First of all, obviously, as in you, campus was lit. So as in, I get, I'm just, I get, and I pass out. And I think he must have been lying there in the bed, just seething, because before you know it, I'm being roughly woken up. Like he's shaking. He's like, wait, I'm like, huh? He's like, get. I'm like, huh? As because. I'm high. You know that sleep for blackout. So by the time someone rouses you, you're like, huh? So he drags me out of the house. And then after he opens the door, he pushes me onto the ground. And then I don't know when he found the time to collect my things, but he, I don't know, because I had some of my stuff at his place. I don't know if he collected them before. Like, did he, or was it? I, I don't know. Because then he flings them at me. Then he hits me. So I was like, what? the hell and then he hits me again and again and again and again and again and he's just shouting at me and he's just and now at this point i'm starting i'm screaming i'm crying i'm like mm-hmm. i'm still high I was like, you know, my faculties were not all there so i'm i think when i, I the way I, remember, I just had very it was very hard to process what i'm like he's beating me yes i know he's beating but why am i what the hell is happening here and i don't think anybody came out of the house to see what was going on. I don't think so. And I called you. I remember you came for me and you took me back because I was staying in a hostel. So I went to the hostel and I remember a friend of mine, she opened for me and then you explained what happened. You're like, don't let her go back to that man. So I think I just got in and slept. I think I don't remember the night very well, but I remember I woke up the next morning and my right eye was so black it was like swollen and the inside was really red and i was like oh shit and then also i noticed that my earrings because i normally have i don't know the piercing studs the ones that you pierce with the gun the stopper is not like the typical stopper so like removing them like if you have long nails you are not about to remove those stoppers because they are they're secure yeah they are secure but he had hit me till they came off on my right side, because that's also the side the ear had an issue. And I remember a friend, another friend in the hostel, she she looked at me and she's, she's like, and she was like, please don't tell me it was your boyfriend. And I was like, yeah. And she just started crying and she hugged me. So the, I don't remember, okay, I don't remember the turn of events. So it's not something I like to think about. It's not something I, like, something I like to talk about. But I knew I needed to go see a doctor because of my eye. Like, it really, it was really red on the inside. Like, the whole, I think it's the cornea, it was all red. And I'm like, oh, my God, if it's bleeding from the inside and I lose my eye. So I went to the hospital. Of course, they asked me what happened, and I lied. And then that Thursday, I was supposed to have a cut in school, but I didn't do it. And my uni was very strict. Like, you can't just miss a cut and life moves on. So I had to go and explain to them what happened. And, like, here's the thing. Like, I say, I'm a shitty liar. So the school, I told them that I had gone out the night before and I was mugged. And so I was beaten. (laughs) But my family, I don't know why I thought this was a good lie. I really don't. I told them I was stung by a wasp. (laughs) There's a cousin of mine who normally reminds me every now and then. But I think she's just seen from my body language. I don't like Because whenever she brings it up, I immediately change the subject. So I, at least the school understood. This was ninth, yeah? 
on Wednesday 9th. And then one of my aunties, my mom's, one of my mom's very best friends, was getting married on 12th. So, of course, we were going. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to see all my people. And I just know this eye is just going to just, like... So I saw my mom. That's what I gave her. Because I was driving. So she'd, she wasn't going for... It's complicated. But she wasn't going for the church service. But she'd pass by later for the reception. So she said, I can use the car. Because I just started driving. And I will like, practice and stuff like that. So I went we, uh, to pick it up. And then she saw. And I just gave her the wasp lie and everything. Here's the thing. I went with my now ex, but then boyfriend, to the wedding. Like, we went home to pick the car for my mom. We went for the wedding. We went out. Because this was in 2011. So we'd been together for, like, two years, four months. And I still stayed another two years. I don't know, wh- I don't know why I stayed so long. As in, what I can't say, a part of me f- felt, and I'm so happy I can say that, felt, like, in past tense, like, I deserved it because I did what he was beating me for. So for a while, I was like, yeah, but, well, you X, Y, Z, so what did you expect? Not necessarily deserve, but what did you expect? Yeah, I wouldn't say deserve. I think expect is a, is a better word. And I think shame. That's how best I can describe how the incidents makes me feel, which is why I don't like to talk about it. It's there's a lot of shame saying my boyfriend beat me up. It's it's not easy to say because different people will take it differently as well. And there are some reactions or some judgments that you don't want. So I guess it's easier to just lie and say stupid things like I was stung by a wasp. But what I do know, we may have stayed together for two years, but the relationship was not the same after that. Like it just like 2012 was just we were just wasting each other's time basically. There's, there was no real relationship we had that year. Like, but what I do know for a fact is, like I've said, I am not the same. The girl that was in that relationship, she doesn't exist anymore. It's a combination of one therapy. Like honestly, that therapy I did in 2017, like just saved my life. And after my mom died. So I like to say this to me is like before my mom died and after my mom died. That's how Taylor says this. The old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. Like as in like me, the old Willa can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's, cause she's dead. So I know for a fact, if a man ever hit me now, I'm not staying. Because it was, I think it was Oprah who said like if a man hits you once, he can be very sure he, he'll hit you again. So he'd hit me once before that, but nothing, if I can call it major, just like... Like light slaps, it isn't such a thing, but like, <laughs> but you get the, there was no power, if I can put it behind there. And then now the next time now was now like the for, removes your studs kind of beating. In any relationship I have going forward, for me, one of my hell knows is, is hit, don't hit me. I don't care what it is. I'm not staying. I don't care if we've been together 15 years. And like for me, I've, it was my childhood. It's a part of my story as well as not just from my childhood but also like it happened to me as well mm-hmm. and enough it reaches a point it's just enough catch our next african stories in the next episode i am so glad that val is healing to a point that she can share about that story share about her experience as a child and be so frank about her emotions towards her dad because i think sometimes people scheme over 
your feelings towards your dad because it's very complex it's very layered especially if the abuse happened when you were so young that you couldn't understand you knew it was wrong but you couldn't understand what exactly was happening and your emotions towards it so then now when you're older you're trying to like peel back layers but people always skim over that part like battling and like trying to make sense of your emotions towards the abusive parents and also sharing about being in an abusive relationship in campus is so important i actually remember the night that val called me because her then boyfriend was beating her i remember so clearly that the words she she said and told me is he's going to kill me and i could hear the commotion in the background it was at a point that i was still living with my mom i could not drive <laughs> at that time and there was no uber or none of these taxi apps but we had a taxi guy like everybody had a taxi guy so i woke up from my room i went to my mom's room i told her what was happening and that and she was like yeah you definitely have to go so she called the cab guy that we used as a family and even at her office his name is Angote I will never forget Angote I think he was still have his number let me check hey I still have his number hey I even have his email <laughs> anyway while Angote my mom had called him so he's coming to pick me up and my mom had gotten up and she was like making ice packs and she had like pulled out painkillers just trying to prepare for when I'd come home with Val because I was like okay I'll go and get her and come home with her and when I got there I I really just hate is a strong word so let me say dislike I heavily dislike that man because he had put my best friend's things the woman he claimed to love he had put her stuff in a paper bag. I'll never forget. It was an Uchumi paper bag. Uchumi is a supermarket chain in Kenya. I don't know if it's still around or it's gone belly up. But anyway, yeah, he put her stuff in an Uchumi paper bag. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? That's when I arrived, right? I remember having, a, yeah, I, I remember asking him, what is so hard for you to articulate in words that you had to beat my friend and then this idiot says oh i just slapped her i will never forget that because i was so mad i was so mad and val is right no one in that entire neighborhood came out to help her because when i get i got there it was just the two of them so even when i occasionally see him and i think i've seen him twice or thrice since then i don't trust myself to be civil so i just normally like our eyes just lock and i think the only time that i greeted him was when he came for val's mom's funeral and i was like you know what this is not the space this is not the time for any drama this is a very traumatic time but i think i was low-key mad that he came because i was just like you know this woman who has passed away you could easily have given her daughter a lifelong injury that you would have to live with for life and you're coming here to do what if you really cared about this woman who has passed away you would take great care of her daughter you did not <sighs> like even just anyway let me not get angry about it again but i i think it's unfortunately encompass even to date it's a story that still happens where encompass girls are in relationships 
with fellow guys in campus, like fellow students, and those students are beating them up. We have normalized violence so much that it's seen as a normal part of a relationship and it is not. It just is not. Please make sure you check out the links in the description of this episode because Val also blogged about her experience. So she shared three blogs at the beginning of 16 Days of Activism. One was her detailed experience of growing up in a violent home. The second one was actually being in a relationship where her boyfriend was violent. And the third one was a guest post by me. I did a post on her blog about femicide, which is another crazy phenomenon that is just plaguing different countries, including our Kenya. This week, actually, a 17-year-old killed a 16-year-old. This is in Kenya, in Naivasha. A 16-year-old because she rejected his advances. So make sure you click the link to Val's blog so that you can check out those three articles. And the link is in the description box of this episode. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.